Hello everybody and welcome to Talking Flutes with me, Jean-Paul Wright, and the more important Claire Selber. Hello Claire. Hello Jean-Paul. Yes, we're, 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 we're sitting in the same cafe. We're sitting in the same cafe as we were two months ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with a croissant and a drink. Well, the crumbs of the a croissant. Crumb. Yes, my dog mouse would love those. <laughs> Claire, we're back with more questions, aren't we? Yep. And which one would you like to fire away with first? Um, you have a, a question which is, is it acceptable for flute players to perform popular music or arrangements of popular songs during recitals and concerts or should they stick to traditional classical repertoire? And that came from Hannah Goodwin, that's a really English name, from Frankfurt in Germany. Okay. Must be an English school. Alright, so it's interesting because often um, programs for recitals are chosen by the organizers mm -hmm. um, and a, a, a performer might have been picked because of sample programs within a brochure or on a website or online so in a way that can be a little bit limiting I'm convinced that a mixture of genres will encourage bigger audiences so I like the fact that you could have a mixed program with as many different types of music as possible so I always say music is music and I don't like the barriers between the different genres mm -hmm. so yes I think you can mix between traditional and non-traditional and I was do doing that when I was still doing recitals I, I was already doing that it's refreshing it's exciting and it gives it gives a different gives the audience a different different sound world different textures different emotions and there's always room for something that's a little bit different. I know you've already spoken about this, is the, the composition of a recital, but if you're going to put in something that is different, have you got to be very careful on where it where goes? Where it goes, absolutely, absolutely. But you know, what I'm talking about, as a, first of all in general terms, that, that players should explore all types of music, and I think this makes them a more rounded, a more complete musician. But yeah, where you fit it in the programme, so programme planning, is hugely important. So you can't just sort of inject something wacky in the middle of a traditional concert. But there could be, if you think about the continuity and about the progression of music, it could be that you start with something, you might have a program where you're starting from early going to something more recent. Mm -hmm. Or you could have, you know, sometimes even if you had um, an English, I used to do an English program. So with an English program, you've already got the chance to incorporate non-traditional music. You don't have to justify why you bring it in. You're doing an English program. And you know why not, if anyone's listening has got to sort out a program for, for a concert, why not introduce it to your audience as a way of educate, not don't use the word educating, but educate your audience in terms of the music that's out there. How far down the pop route. I mean, there is, there's light music, isn't there? I mean, some of Elgar's music is really light mm. compared to the classical stuff mm. that we grew, grew up with. How far down this sort of route would you go, would you put something in if you're doing a recital? Again, it depends what you've been asked to do. And you always have to submit programs. So the organised presumably are happy with what you've presented to them. But also you need to prepare your audience, which brings us into talking. Mm -hmm. I would always talk in recitals. So if you're someone who never talks in recitals, then I think you've got to 
a long, hard road ahead of you because you're going to be, it's, the audience is going to find it very difficult to relate to you. But you know, you can introduce things in a way that brings your audience to you rather than frighten them off. It used to be that we would frighten audiences off by very contemporary pieces. Yeah. I remember introducing a, a piece in a chamber music concert. It wasn't too contemporary, but it, it, was, it, it had some new sounds in. So I just warned the audience, and someone on the front row went, Jesus wept. Uh, <laughs> just, they, weren't, they really didn't want to hear it. And we could feel the, uh, the, the sort of, the, the audience mood change, certainly from the front row, <laughs> against what we were doing, until we got back to the sort of more standard stuff. But these days it's very different, I think. So if you're doing a recital and you've really been given carte blanche, the recital then is about you as the musician, isn't it? Yeah, I, th I think every programme needs to have a story to it. Um, we used to, I was always talking about this at, 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 the, at the Academy, that when you do final, final recitals for your, you know, your, your recital programmes for your diploma or, or exams or whatever, there's got to be connection. You can't just pick pieces just because you like them. You need to pick something that progresses, but there can be progression in many different ways. So it could be in terms of instruments you're using, other instrumentalists. So whether you've got one, two or three or four players that you are using them in a way that uh, develops through the program. If it's just you and piano, then it's good to have something. I, I always used to have my accompanist, Tim Carey, he always used to do a solo piece in the middle of each half. Okay. And that would be so exciting for the audience and great for me because it gave me a little bit of time off, but it gave, gave them a different sound world. Mm -hmm. And, but there was always, there was always a sort of a story behind the program, how we could introduce it. So that there would be a, a good way of introducing, you've just played this piece and that does something which introduces you to the next piece. So there'd be a link Mm -hmm. moving, moving through, even if it's just talking about how music has developed or how the flute developed or how composers write for the instrument as the years have gone by. And of course, if you just look at the last 30 years, composers have written such different things for us. I mean, what they write now, well, they certainly wouldn't have been writing 30 years ago in terms of what they're expecting us, in terms of contemporary techniques and, and different, different sounds. Would you, would you play a, not so like you personally, if you went to a concert and they were playing, they were playing Bach and then they went on to you know, something like the Poulon, would you, if they threw in a cover of a piece that is, has been composed by a group in the last 15, 20 years, or a Beatles number as a cover, how would your musician brain react? To them, but you think, it's too yes. flippant. I think that would be a little, that'll be a bit hard unless there was a connection. So for me, um, I used to do something, pop music through the ages. Right. So you can play Vivaldi, you can play Bach, you can play Handel. Mm -hmm. um, you can play the, what was the popular, pop is short for popular, the popular yeah. music of the time. And certainly if you're going to play for, for kids, if you're doing any school concerts, then of course you bring in, bring in covers and you do something more popular. So think of it as popular rather than just pop music, because a lot of pop music, if you think of that, it's a bit sort of without any substance. 
-hmm. uh, whereas there are some incredible popular songs which have a lot of substance. So it's a case of what you pick, how you do it and how you introduce it. I think you've answered that question, Claire. Good. And I didn't say much, which is a joy for all. <laughs> <laughs> right, on to another one. Is This is an interesting one. And from your background as a flute professor and a teacher, you're going to be best placed to answer this. How honest should a teacher be with their students regarding them realistically having a career as a soloist or achieving an orchestral seat? Now this is hard because you have to have a dream. You go to music university, music colleges, academies around the world to study flute and music because you want to be a flute player. And I'm sure it must be soul-destroying having spent three or four years at that institution, as well as the 10, 15 years beforehand practicing, to come out and not have been told how difficult it's going to be mm -hmm. and what the realistic nature. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I always remember Wib saying to me, yes, young man, actually he doesn't speak like this, did he? But uh, yes, young man, you're... You're a nice flute player, but you're not a good one. <laughs> and I... Quite tough. It's tough, but I, I understood. It took me a little while, because I, I was sort of uber-confident, and I thought, oh, gosh. It took me a little while to process, but looking back, that was so honest and yet so clear. Mm. I was a nice flute player, but not a good mm. one. And a good one was defined as going in, into the industry to be a... to earn money as a flute player. Mm. So... Okay. What's your views on this? Well, the short answer is I think teachers should be totally honest because you're, otherwise you're harming that person. If someone has false expectations, they're going to have a lifetime of disappointment and that's not good. So if we look at pre-college first, um, most, most teachers aren't always fully aware of the standards involved. So it's, sometimes it's, um, you, have to be aware, you have to be aware of the standards. So you need to encourage your students to uh, take uh, consultation lessons, go to listen to master classes, go to summer schools, to understand what the level is, in, so that you can judge against those people. You can see where you sit with those people. I remember years of, of college auditions where you'd see the same people come year after year, but they wouldn't get in. And they, they just kept thinking, oh, I'll get in the next year, I'll get in the next year. And they never did, because they were never being told, honestly, that they didn't basically have any chance. They had no hope, because they just weren't of the right standard. The standards are really high. And it's a, such a tough career to be in if you're not one of the really good ones. So you might scrape in to one of the conservatoires, but you might be at the bottom of the piles, that's no good either. So that you're never going to get into the orchestra, you're never going to be achieving things within, you're always going to be at the bottom of the pile and you're not going to get the jobs. I also think it's important for people to go and look at some of the websites like Musical Chairs to see how many jobs are there for flute players? <laughs> yes. There aren't any, you know, there are very, very few. So realistically, if you're going to say, I'm going to be a principal flute, yeah, great. it's great to have ambition, but you've got to be realistic with that ambition. 
And so you need a teacher to be able to tell you honestly what your chances are. And it's not always, of course, the best players that get those positions either. We've talked before about how, it's how you fit. It's encouraging your students to get knowledge. Knowledge is power. And to learn what the standard is and to try and work towards the standard that's required and hope that you have you know, the X factor, which will allow you to be successful. But we've spoken before about the dangers of comparison and you go to a music college, you go to a flute course, you go to master classes and you hear people and there's a realism there and you think, crikey, they're just a bit older than me and they're in the same world. But if you're comparing yourself with them, then you're doing yourself a disservice because there's a comparison, isn't there? Hmm. How do you get the realism into yourself? When does that come? That comes by being guided by your mentors. You know, so if, if we go to a conservatory sort of setting, it's, it's, it's strange. When I was, when I was learning, it, we, we were just taught to be able to play the flute very well and we played solo repertoire which gave the impression that we were all aiming to be solo flute players yeah. which was totally unrealistic and what we needed really was a really solid grounding in orchestral repertoire that, so that we could go and do auditions and do them successfully and it, it just wasn't covered and also we didn't have any advice on how to create a career and how to manage your career and all the things that go into having, because it's your own business, you're creating your own business. We never had any career advice or help within our industry many years ago. It's, it's got a lot better now. So I think it's a teacher's job, certainly at conservatoire level, to say that you are going to find it difficult to get a job or to make a, a career out of this in this way and you need to think about other ways of being successful so for example I always say don't teach unless you want to teach but you can often tell those students who've got a gift for explanation and who are already doing some teaching and are really enjoying it and that can be a, such a great path a great worthwhile path and they're not always the best players so there are various ways you can achieve a career in music or in flute, which is not necessarily going to be standing on a solo platform, because that just doesn't happen with, with most people. Can I just touch on something you mentioned, which could be the key actually, is that if every flute player or musician regards themselves, as you've just said, as a business, within that business is various different functions isn't there there's you've got to look after the money so you've got the finance you've got to be able to market yourself so yeah. there's the marketing function mm -hmm. there's the sales function because you've got to be able to sell yourself mm -hmm. and then there's the performing function yeah. and there's lots of little subdivisions after that I think everybody goes to music college music universities to, and focuses on the one the performing yeah. whereas if they open themselves up to being this business as you've said yeah. Once you begin to understand the finance, the marketing, the sales, and all the other sub bits, suddenly other careers open up 
Yes. I mean, you've, as orchestral management, you know, there's the business I'm in, which is the flute industry mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. There is so many more areas that open them, is themselves up mm -hmm. if your focus is wider. Mm -hmm. And that then doesn't necessarily pigeonhole you, yeah. which potentially can lead you onto the road of disappointment. Mm -hmm. And I think early on in, in your uh, student years, it's very easy to recognise those people who are going to succeed as a soloist and those people who definitely aren't going to. Can you tell? Yes. Those with that X factor and those who don't. So the, where's in you, you hear about people that grow intellectually and suddenly from the age of something like 19 or 20, something kicks in and from a very modest educational background, suddenly they, they reach, they, they have a stratospheric rise because something's kicked in with them. Mm. With music, you can tell from when they arrive at uni. Not necessarily when they arrive, but certainly within that first year, you can tell those people who are, have got something to say. Because we're back now to sort of, it's about the music. Oh, it's always about the music, it's isn't about it? About the music. So you know, it's, but the flute is just the instrument by which you're trying to develop that, to, uh, to send that message. And um, there are there are those performers that just have this quality that allow them to say something that others don't. And so you know they're going to develop because they practice and they, they're going to get better at playing the flute, but. They've always had that sort of gift of communicating. So how do you see the X Factor as a, a former prof and a principal flute and a soloist? Because... If you can't... It, it's almost impossible to describe. There's just something that... You just, you just get that, a feel, do you? It's a feel. You just get, gets you, you... pulls you in. Oh, yeah. You, it's so difficult, it's so difficult to, uh, to describe. When you hear it, you know it. You know it through the, the whole body. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. That some draws you in. It's like when you see an incredible actor or an incredible artist, you know, paint, painter, you know, or singer. Something that really just draws you in. And you find it when you watch these um, programs on television, the, like the X Factor or whatever they're called now, pop idol. You know immediately when someone's got something. And sometimes you have these singers that come along and they just belt out a song at full volume and the audience go wild. And you're thinking, actually, no, that's just very loud singing. And they've got a, a quality in the voice that's nice, but it's not, that's not artistic, that's not, it's not musical, it's not doing anything. And then someone else comes along and there's, such subtlety in what they do that you suddenly think, oh, hang on a minute, that's, um, that's rather wonderful. It's not like a book, but for me, the analogy is almost like a book, is that I can start a book, but if I get... I'm quite happy to put a book down if I'm not drawn in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some books that just you cannot put down, especially one I've just read, Lessons in Chemistry. Nobody's read it. <laughs> you have to go and read it. It's fantastic. Lessons in chemistry. No. It's wonderful. Nobody ever said that's a wonderful book. No, no. This is a wonderful book. It's fiction. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> it's not a chemistry book. No, it's a book called Lessons in Chemistry, and I just cannot remember the author's name. And it's won loads of awards. It's fantastic. Couldn't put it down. Started it, couldn't stop reading. Wow, Lessons in Chemistry. Yeah. Is it on Audible? Yeah, I'm sure it is. Okay. It's everywhere. It's a, re it's, a, it's a top seller. It's fantastic. Well, you heard it here, folks. Yeah. You heard it here. So, you see, that's got, that's got the X factor. You start it, you just can't stop reading. So, there are flute players like that. You, you start to listen and you can't stop listening. Yeah, I'd like to be able to quantify that, what is, but I do get that. Mm. If you put the name aside, and yeah. I know you said in the previous podcast that sometimes it's best just to close your eyes and then you you feel and hear everything you want to feel and hear rather yeah. than visually looking. But yeah, you know straight away if you hear something special. Yeah. So, yeah, and there are there are there are a few out there, but there aren't tons. You know, there's just a few. That's why you, you don't get zillions of solo flute players. There just aren't that many good ones. That's true. Oh, actually, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Those that are just earning their living as a soloist. Gosh. It's because it's such a hard job. That's why you can't go to college thinking I'm going to be a soloist. It's just not going to happen. It's totally unrealistic. I mean, we used to get people auditioning and we'd say, you know, what are your aspirations? I want to be a solo flute player. Okay. What flute players have you heard? And they, probably the only one they could mention was James Goy. Um, have you been to any summer schools? No. Have you been to any concerts? No. You know, and you're thinking, mm. you know, what recordings do you have at home that you might listen to? No, they don't know. And unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Yeah, so that isn't really necessarily a dream, is it? It is an unrealistic expectation. Mm. And that's where, <laughs> that's where the old ad is dream big, dream high. Mm. Is actually falls flat on its face because mm. going, but you mentioned Pop Idol and X Factor. Simon Cowell always asks, you know, who told you to audition? Mm. Oh, my mum or my family, so I've got a really good voice. Yeah. And he will say, well, that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also, we find that, you know, there are some people that find they're escaping music, which is wonderful. I'm all in favour of yeah. that. But maybe because they're not so good at a lot of other things as well. Yeah. And but that doesn't mean they're going to excel at music. You know, it's, it's, it's great to be an amateur, but not necessarily professional. You have to differentiate between the two. I like that. That's the perfect place to finish. Differentiate between an amateur, and there are some brilliant, brilliant amateur flute players that yeah. play the flute and have other professional jobs. Mm. I know one very well-regarded well KC, King's Council, barrister in London, who's an excellent flute player, and plays the flute. I mean, I hate him because he's so clever at everything. He just picks a flute up and think, no, please, no. Still has a gorgeous tone. Um, so you can you can do other things. Wonderful. I'm yep. thinking about your son. He's a doctor. Well, a doctor. I think he can play the flute very well, if I he can remember He plays the flute right. very well, yeah. Yeah. I should hate him as well. I dislike anyone that can do more more, th more things than me, which is probably 99% of you that's listening. Claire, thank you very so, much again. Thanks, John Paul. Should we go for a little wander down to the front? No, I think that's a very good idea. Right. Thank you all for listening this week. Thank you again to our podcast sponsors, TJ Flutes, for supporting us along this route. We've been going a long time now, haven't we, Claire? A very six, long time. Over six, six years. Six years, gosh. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah, six years. So you can give them some, show them some flute love by following them, please do, on Instagram at TJ Flutes, at Facebook at Trevor James Flutes, and on the web at tjflutes.com. That's my late night DJ voice, <laughs> FM DJ voice, at tjflutes.com. <laughs> See you next time, everybody. Bye, Claire. Bye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.